Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Luis Verresto was born in Aguas Buenas, Puerto Rico, but proudly raised in the Bronx. Her two books of poetry, Unfinished Portrait and Ascension, published by Tia Chucha Press. Her third collection, also entitled Living on Islands Not Found on Maps, will be released by Flower Song Press in 2022. Hello, everyone. This week on Poetic Reservoir... I cannot say the name of my... <laughs> I'm leaving this in because people need to know how much I screwed this up. (laughs) (laughs) This week on Poetic Resurrection, we have Louis Vett. Welcome, Louis Vett. Now tell me your full name so I don't screw it up. My name is Louis Vett Resto Garcia. See, I knew I would have messed that one up. (laughs) (laughs) Now you are going to read the poem, Living on Islands Not Found on Maps. And I got introduced to you by Luis J. Rodriguez. He gave me your info to contact you. And I've had it for a while. And I go, well, I got to call it because this is this season is poets. So whenever you're ready. Sure. Living on islands not found on maps. I live on an island not found on maps, growing up in the shadows of one of the most popular surnames, Garcia. I speak Spanish to my abuela on Sundays, but rely on Google to help my children with their homework because the the accent rules never stuck. Stress or unstress? Penultimo syllable? Took the paradoxical college course, Spanish for bilinguals, where every Tuesday, Professor Cruz de Jesus would shake his head with indignation at my use of the familiar tú versus usted. No me conoce, he said. He was right. He didn't know me and I didn't know him or the proper word for bus or orange juice. What I did know is summers in Puerto Rico, eating quenepas as relatives ask, no entiendes lo que dijo tu primo? And my abuela defending my tongue, this tongue, colonized not once but twice, leaving me isolated at family reunions, feeling inadequate for my inability to conjugate on command. Sounding out storefront signs while riding the number 42 bus on the way home from kindergarten, where I concentrated to understand Mrs. Farrell's lessons about the seasons. But I finally found a home between Bronx Bodega Isles, code switching with my homegirls about how many times Juana vipio that boy we saw standing in front of El Building. This became the island where I belong, unfettered and absent of red pen corrections, Juana didn't care if I used the tú or the usted or if my yo was about me or an emphatic reaction to her crazy story. This island didn't care if I rolled my R's or ever got the purpose of vosotros. An island where our bodies translated feelings, pursed lips, a raised brow, an aggressive eye or neck roll. We were bilingual neologists, inventing new lands we could carry in our Tims and bubble coats. Here, language like us wasn't disappointing or broken. I love that. I could so relate to so much that you said there because the guagua, 
La Guagua. Exactly. People, people out there, that means bus for us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You lived in the Bronx, obviously. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows what a bodega is when you live in the in the city. I, I you know, I'm still haven't found a bodega here. Oh no, 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 no. They call them liquor stores. That's what I've discovered. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They discovered I I when I first moved out here 18 years ago, I was looking for a bodega. And and then what I discovered was their version of a bodega is a liquor store. That's what they call them. Yeah. And I was like, that's not right. A liquor store is where you get liquor and right. only liquor. But it was just, it's interesting. I, again, I find language fascinating. And it's just to see like from the, from the East to the West, how that completely changes. So I think the closest I've ever found is a liquor store. That's what it's called. Yeah, because it's normally a bodega. It's more like a little grocery, family-owned grocery store that happens to sell some liquor. Right. Normally stuff like Mogan David and Boone's Farm, if that's still around. But Mogan David, my family would only like those sweet wines. You think we were Jewish or something (laughs) (laughs) celebrating Passover, you know, but uh, (laughs) uh, but yeah, so that we had. And I just love it because it's true. We all, you know, the the Garcia is such a common name. And I love the use of abuela on Sundays. And what is it with abuelas on Sundays? That's when I call my parents on Sundays. Mm-hmm. I, every Sunday I call my mother and I am not allowed to miss that day. Like it's a, uh, if I miss calling her tomorrow, it's, I'll get a text message either l- later on in the evening, a very nice passive aggressive text message <laughs> saying you must've been too busy. To have called me. I hope you were having fun with whatever you were doing. Me llamas con lo pueda, con la secaba. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I know one time my mom tried that on me because it it seems like they all went to the same school. (laughs) (laughs) And it says, bueno, tú no piensas en mí. You know, and I'm like, and they go, yo sé que tú estás preocupada, pero todavía. I go, mom, guilt doesn't work on me, so knock it off. (laughs) <laughs> and she and she stopped. She's never did the guilt thing again. <laughs> oh, see, my mom is very good about that. So every Sunday I have to call. That's, you know, sing falta. And if I do, I have to call first thing Monday morning on the way to work. Half. Yeah. Yeah. I my dad already has it memorized that I call at 9 a.m. Uh, at 11 a.m. his time, which is 9 a.m. I am there in Chicago. Oh, OK. Um, which is, you know, 9 a.m. here. So it's like, well. You normally call me around 11 a.m. <laughs> well, now they're elderly. I actually call them. I definitely have to call on Sunday, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I call them throughout the week, too. Yeah, I've been doing that a little bit more than my mom is now retired. And she's been taking care of my abuela now, like 24-7. So just checking up on them a bit more, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, the poem, everything in that poem, I, I have to say, every, every person mentioned is true. Um, I did have a Profesor Cruz de Jesus in college. I did take uh, Spanish for bilinguals my sophomore year, and I was an awful student. Um, I mean, he really, I mean, he's a nice man. He really was. But like anytime I would leave or come into class, I'm like, hola, como estas? You know, and he's like, no me conoces. No me conoces. Es usted, no tú. And I'm like, oh. I don't understand the, the issue with that. You know, I really don't. Yeah, I mean, he took it. I wonder if it's a generational thing because uh, I I have seen that usually 
older generations tend to take it very seriously. It's very proper. It's like, no me conoces, like it's too familiar. We're not, we're not family and we're not friends. And I don't know, he, he was, he had that very fine line. And yeah, I had this broken Spanish, you know, even though he was Puerto Ricanio himself, he would say, that's not the way to say, you know, it's not guagua, it's autobus, it's naranja, no china. And so I was always getting in trouble. I just remember fondly always getting in trouble. In you know, class. and the thing is, it's like you're trying to correct, which I find insulting at the same time. Yes, there's a certain way of speaking. If I'm going to do a newscast or if I'm going to read to, you know, if I'm teaching, then, yes, there's a certain way of speaking where you reach everybody. Mm-hmm. But you're basically the saying and denying on his part because he's denying his the way that his culture speaks. I had a teacher in Spanish, too. And she's like, oh. You Puerto Ricans change everything. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And an English person sounds different from an Australian and a New Zealand and an American. There's different ways. Even in America, there's so many right. different ways of speaking English. Right. The North and the South sound drastically right. different. In the East and the West. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the yeah. Midwest has their own thing, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, even us, there's standard English that we speak. Mm-hmm. Like I'm an actress, I have to speak standard Spanish. And let me tell you, I have to work on it because I got to make sure that I roll my R's and I don't say my H's. Wow. <laughs> I roll the R's, not have the cajo oh. sound versus the carro sound. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. Yeah, there's a big difference there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, okay, so I practice my R's and ending the R, the S's. Oh. Casa. Or cosa. cosa. No, it's cosas. <laughs> cosas. Or for us, I mean, we say, we also cut off, cut off our R's and A's. It's pa'lante, no, pa'lante. We know it's yeah. para que, we go pa' que. Uh-huh. Pa' que, pa' que voy para allá. exactly. Ah, too many letters. <laughs> We cut everything short, right? Absolutely. The V's are the B's. It's vaca, not vaca, bacon. Yeah. I, I don't even know when that started. It's like, hi, we are going to take Spanish and we're going to totally change it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to break all the rules. Now, I did have a question. Mm-hmm. Colonized not once, but twice. Are you referring to the, was it the Costa Rican Native American, the natives that got Puerto Rico or are you talking about just the U.S. and something else? I was just talking about mainly, uh, you know, having to learn English, you know, that was definitely imposed on us and by by the United States and Puerto Rico uh, that you had, you know, when they took over, it's like, okay, that became the dominant language. And then having, and then moving here to the States, obviously having to know English to get by through school. And so, that's a form of colonization, in my opinion. And also just the Spanish language itself, the Spanish coming into Puerto Rico and colonizing the island and the indigenous people that existed there, the Tainos. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, Tainos have their own language, which as we many, many of us know, we still say to, you know, we, we have many Taino words in our language that, you know. Enlighten me, what, which Taino oh, words? Okay. Oh, well, uh, barbecue is barbacoa. That comes from Taino. Um, hurricane is huracán. That comes from Taino. Uh, so there's a lot of words in the English language that we say, and that if you look at the etymology, they're Taino-based. 
And so, like, like I said, hurricane and, and, and barbecued barbacoas is the one that, that come to mind right away. So that's why I say in the poem, colonize uh, not just once, but twice, because the indigenous people who, uh, who inhabited um, the island were, were colonized, not just once, but twice. And so uh, this, my languages, um, obviously I'm proud of them. I'm proud of, of both of them, but at the same time, knowing that history of like, where did they even come from? And what was, and what was the foundation as to why we're speaking them in the first place? And so when you unravel that and you get to know your history, you know, it leaves a, to me, it does, you know, make me kind of cringe a little bit. I was like, well, the reason I'm speaking these languages is because of, of people coming in and forcing themselves onto, onto the island mm -hmm. uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. So that's why that's in the poem. That's, that's why that line is there. I read an interesting study how they were taking blood tests from many Puerto Ricans and that the Taino blood is still in so many people. It's like they can trace it and it's strongly because they thought it didn't exist anymore. So it was a really interesting study. No, I read that too. Uh, I read the, definitely the headline and definitely, yeah, I was, again, it's just, it's fascinating to me that regardless of the amount of violence and erasure, we're still here. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely poetic um, in itself. And just, again, it just goes to show you the testament of the, of the fact that that's what that, you know, you know, Boricua, Boric gang means, you know, valiant people. We are mm -hmm. still, we are here. We're valiant and todavía estamos aquí. We're proud of our heritage. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the joke these days, right? Like I keep seeing many, many things on the internet, many, many memes and many gifts and little like videos of, well, you know, how do you know you're some, how, how do you know you're Puerto Rican? I chacho, mira, you know, and then you, and you, <laughs> La <chancleta. laughs> and you see like about the 50 billion flags that exist everywhere you go. And I was watching that video a few years, a few months ago, and I was laughing because people were sending it to me. But entonces I'm looking around my own home. Yo tengo bandera in every corner. I have something de Puerto Rico. Like I have someone, I have a painting. There's a flag in my bedroom. There's a flag in my car. I have, I mean, yo tengo, I have a tattoo. I have, you know, every, I have t-shirts that says Puerto Rican Wonder Woman. Like everywhere I go, you know, yo soy Puerto Rican. And, and yeah, we're very proud. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it was funny. I went to the Puerto Rican parade a long time ago in Chicago. Oh. And I bought, they were selling underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and on the butt part, it says, uh, oh, what did it say? <laughs> Kiss my boat in Kenya, butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's to taking proudness to like the <laughs> max. To a different level. I mean, it's, and I'm sure, and I'm sure people bought those. I am sure. I bought one. <laughs> I still have it. I've never worn them, but I think they're hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, if it's there, like, I mean, I, I, I go to the restaurant, the Puerto Rican restaurants out here, um, and they're ways away from me. Pero siempre, there's always like something you can buy, some merchandise, right? That tiene que Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And, and I, that's where I found my flag that says Aguas Buenas, because they had all the all the different towns. And so I saw Aguas Buenas where my family's from and I bought that flag right away and it's on my car and it's falling apart and I keep taping it together. <laughs> where is Aguas, Aguas uh, Buenas in Puerto Rico? 
Aguas Buenas. If you know where Caguas is, do you know Caguas? No, because my family, my oh. mom is from Moca, which is by Arecibo, and my dad's from Corozal, which is, you know, closer to San Juan on that side of the island. So it's, so Aguas Buenas is going to be west of, of San Juan. And it's more, it's interesting because it says Aguas Buenas, but we're nowhere near water. <laughs> I always find that fascinating. I was like, I look at the map and I'm like, I understand it's an island and, and it's tiny, but oh, there's no, <laughs> we're not anywhere near water. Maybe that's why they called it that to get, make people to go there. <laughs> like Greenland, they called it Greenland because it was really more like Iceland and Iceland is actually more green. Oh, wow. Okay. It's the opposite. They called Greenland to get people there. Oh, okay. But it's like, you know, I was just in Chicago at 14 degrees. <laughs> I, no, thank you. I cannot live in the cold anymore. Me neither. Me neither. That's one thing I, I can't do. I don't visit. I can't visit New York City in like right now, like December, January, February. I just, I'm going to take a pass on those months for sure, because I'm done. I'm over it. I, did, I lived through that too long. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to visit my family, you know, my parents, because they're both elderly mm -hmm. and I miss them. Right. So it, the phone calls weren't doing it. And so I ended up going. But man, I had my parka. I had my cap. I had everything like I look like I was in 14 degree weather. <laughs> <laughs> going back to your poem, uh, sounding our storefront signs. I love that because that's how I practice my Spanish, too. Yeah. So, and this is while you were on the bus. Right. I mean, we didn't have a car. I mean, we had one car. And when I moved to the, when we moved to the Bronx and um, the reason, another reason too, by the way, the reason bodega aisles are on there is because my grandfather owned bodegas. And oh. so I grew up in a bodega. Um, I grew up after school. Uh, I spent easily, my after school program was hanging out at the bodega, waiting for my mother to get off of work. And then she would pick me up at the bodega because my grandmother had picked me up after school. So that was my routine. I hung out at bodegas for years. That was another, like, again, that was my way to just pay, pay honor to, to my grandparents because, uh, especially my grandfather. Uh, but yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have multiple cars. And I distinctly remember having to take the number 42 bus to get to my elementary school and my grandmother, my grandmother would be the one to take me. And because my grandfather had that one station wagon, he had that one Impala and yes. <laughs> with, with the wood on the side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a maroon, <laughs> I'll never forget. It was a maroon Impala with the third row that faced backwards. Yeah, I think I don't understand. I guess it was easier for the manufacturer to make, but you could never be in a conversation with anybody. No. You were always looking at at the back of the car <laughs> and you got massive car sickness if you were in the back because you were like and it was like super awkward because you were facing drivers if you were in traffic yeah. and you just as a kid would sit there and you just look at people driving coming out it was just super awkward I mean we would have fun as me and my cousins would have a blast if we were sitting together but oh yeah and nobody really cared if we were wearing seatbelts at the time really it was not a good it was in hindsight it was a crazy time but oh, we only had that one Impala and so, you know, por la mañana, it's like my grandmother's like, okay, Riva, we have to go to school. We have to get up really early to take three buses to go to elementary school, uh, a Catholic school, of course, right? Mm -hmm. We had to go to Catholic school. And, and then coming back, it was the same three, three wagwas to come back. And so I remember distinctly being on the 42 bus and, you know, 
just making, I was looking at the window and I would like sound out every storefront sign that I could find or every like street sign, you know? Yeah. And my grandmother would, would help me as best as she can. Tambien. She had a, she was pretty, she, her English and Spanish, uh, her English was pretty good. So uh, she would help me out a lot. But yeah, that was again, a very, a very concrete example of how I learned, you know, Spanish and English, you know, on the way, on, on the way home, you know, from school. Yeah, I, I won't subscribe to a, a Spanish newspaper because it's, they say all newspapers are written in sixth grade language, even English is written in sixth grade language. So I said, I should be able to read at least sixth grade language. No, <laughs> I didn't. My in my Spanish was so elementary. I would just look at it and get frustrated because I couldn't get really past it. So I understand the Spanish thing, you know? Oh, yeah. And for me, I had to learn English because my parents spoke Spanish and I was the first one born in the mainland. Mm. So I, you know, I knew Spanish, but it was children's Spanish, you know? Right. And I had to learn English. Uh, Bipeo. Is that like a beep outside? Because we Spanglish to the max. Oh yeah, that was so. Again, the Juana in the poem is actually uh, a a friend of mine from high school, and who ended up I ended up going to college with her. But yeah, it was I grew up in the '90s, and so the big thing in the '90s was to have a beeper. I remember. Oh yes, I remember the beeper. Right, and in the '90s it was like, oh, el te beepio. You know, did the guy beep you? El te beepio, <laughs> and. You know, there was even the song "El Baile del Beeper." You know that. You know there was a. You know there was a. You know there was a whole baile to it. So, um, but yeah, I, I just that was a big deal at the time, and I remember. I, I don't know if a beeper really had a translation, because there was. I think you could key it in, and it would be on that little tiny screen. No, but like I if remember. there was an actual translation, like so, beeper in English is beeper, but what would it be in Spanish? Right, like. They're, right, exactly. So we, so I think that's why we just made it up, right? And we said, "Oh, te bipio," <laughs> like, yeah. Like we just, I think we just attached these words or letters to the end of beeper, and then con we started to conjugate it. Yeah. And so that's why I think we made it up, and and I think in the '90s, especially, you know, when you know, beepers were ubiquitous; they were everywhere, right? Everybody in the city had a beeper. That was the end thing. I think we, yeah, we made it up. And so that's why I thought it was, when I was thinking back in my mind, I was like, yeah, el building, it's not really el building. You know, we kept, we say el building, but it should be edificio. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, but we will, but if anywhere you go right now, it's like, well, mira, está ahí enfrente del building. You know, <laughs> you know again, parquear is not a word. <laughs> Estacionarse. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my goodness. So it. Oh yeah. I Spanglish. It was, you add an O to it or another Spanish thing. And now it's a Spanish word. Right. I think Spanglish is hysterical because I have half the time people talking and I'm, I could totally understand that that's the sad part. <laughs> I love, I love, I love the fact that we can do that. And even I, I, I teach students now, teach middle schoolers, and, and the predominant um, population are Asian students, and so specifically Chinese. And mm -hmm. I love talking to them because they get it. They totally get it. They're like, oh, yeah, you have Spanglish, and we have basically the same thing where we mix the Chinese and the English together. And so when they're talking to their parents, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the exact same thing that I did. Yep. And I think that's, 
I find that absolutely beautiful. And, and, and I don't know, again, it's like, we have so much more in common. Yeah, And it's such a subculture. And I, to me, subcultures are so fascinating mm-hmm. because it's always a melting pot of other cultures, right? It's like fusion cooking for words. <laughs> that's absolutely, that's a beautiful way of putting it. And, and that whole subculture understands each other. Yes right? They all understand like those kids, again, they're like 12 that I teach and they totally understand each other when they code switch from Mandarin to English and vice versa. Yes. They understand each other. And I'm just, you know, and, and I think in fondness of like, that's exactly how I grew up with my friends in elementary school and in high school and even in college and even now. Uh, so I think there is a, yeah, you're right. It's a fusion of words, fusions of language. Absolutely. There was one thing, Tim's and bubble coats. Yep. Yeah, that's yes, on Tim's Timber. Uh, oh, your uh, your Timberland boots and Timberland in the nineties. Oh, well, you see, you grew up in the nineties. I'm older than you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it was. A, I mean, that's a very, you know, a very New York City. Very. I mean, for me, it's Bronx. I, that's my. But it's definitely very New York City attire, especially uh-huh. when you're cold, right? Like I had Tim boots. I think you know, in high school to get through the snow. When I was in college, I was all the way in upstate New York. And, you know, Ithaca had, you know, sometimes you get five, six feet of snow overnight and it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, you, but you still had to go to class because they never were going to cancel class. So, no, and you were waiting for them to cancel class. And they never, they did it once in four years. It was some crazy nonsense. But, but yeah, the Tims were the best, you know, the best boots because, you know, they were great for the snow, for the water. You know, um, they were nice and heavy. You can really get some good traction. And then mm-hmm. eventually they became a fashion item, right? So it didn't matter if it was like snowing or not. It could be 90 degrees and you still see people wearing Timberland boots. And so that's where the line comes from. It comes from your Tims and your bubble coats, because again, you're talking about a parka, but parka, yeah. But again, like I'm thinking back, I wore I had a bubble coat through college, this white bubble coat that people said they could see me, they could see me. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it was snowing and you probably blended in. <laughs> well, my friends were like, oh yeah, we knew you were coming because you had this little white bubble coat that went down <laughs> to your knees and like you had the little, and then you put the hood on and then you scrunch it up because it had a little bit of fur around it, you know? I mean. Yeah, to cover your mouth. Yeah. But now it's easy. You could just, you have to wear a mask. Oh so yeah. Now it's really easy to do that. With that, the cultural stuff, I'm going back to a little mm-hmm. bit of your poem here. I have felt, and I don't, maybe you can tell me your perceptions of this, that you don't really fit into the Puerto Rican cultures because Puerto Rican people tell you you're not Puerto Rican, and yet you're not American culture. So it's like an American person or someone that is not Puerto Rican will say you're not American, whereas then you get also the same thing from the island because you're not born there. Right. I wasn't born there. I was born and raised in Chicago. I found there's that it's like, where do you fit in? And I think that's where the language of Spanglish and that subculture has connections there. Right. How do you feel about that in your perspective? Uh, No, I I agree with you 100 percent, because even though I was born on the island, I didn't I wasn't um, I I didn't live there. Right. Not like the way my mom and my aunt and my grandmother Mm did. Um, I was four or five years old when we moved to the Bronx. Uh, but that, that's why I think I'm very specific, even in my bio, that I was born in Aguas Buenas, but I was raised in the Bronx because that's very different. 
And I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna pay respects to both places, you know, cause I am proud from being Aguas Buenas. I spent a lot of summers there with my abuela. You know, she was always coming back to the island and she still has a house there. So I spent a lot of summers, but then eventually that stopped. Um, and when we would go for the summer, it was, it was exactly what you just said. It was, oh, you know, you're from the mainland, and my Spanish, you know, as I live more obviously in the Bronx than the island, my Spanish, I couldn't keep up with everybody. I couldn't keep up with the conversations that my, my grandmother was having with her primos. You know, like I said in the poem, you do feel like this outsider in your own community. Yeah. And, you know, it's lonesome, you know, it is, it is lonely. And when you're just like, I can't keep up with this conversation. I know they're talking about me. I know they're talking about, (laughs) they're talking about some relative and you can only pick up, you know, a few pieces here and there. And then, yes. And then you come back to the Bronx for me, at least. And um, specifically more so in college is when I felt the, the otherness and, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't American either, right? Like I wasn't American because of the stuff that I would bring to lunch. That was another thing too, right? My lunchbox didn't look like everybody else's lunchbox. Mm-hmm. You know, people had sandwiches. I opened up my thermos. I had sorullos. Um, I had, you know, arroz con pollo. I had different things that other kids did, you know, the, the kids would bring. So there was always this, I was always vacillating between two worlds. Mm-hmm. and. And there is a loneliness, like I said, and, and what, but somehow like you, you know, the subculture that you mentioned, but when you find other people that experience things like you, whether they're Puerto Rican, Dominicano, Cubano, and Mexicano, or Chicanos, it's like, okay, I'm not the only one. There is this, like, I mean, and that's kind of where the title comes from. There is this island that we all can like survive in and be in and thrive. And I was able to kind of find that space eventually. And, but it is, it can get a little isolating. And, you know, you hang out with your family and, you know, I look at my mom and my, and, and I would look at my tia and I'm like, well, they have very specific memories of Puerto Rico. I will never be able to have that. That's not, that's not my, that's not my history. That's not my story. Yeah, you know, uh, and yours would be La Bronx. Mine is the Bronx, and but mine is mm-hmm. also being told, you know, and even now, maybe you know, and I know you understand this too. Even now, living out here in California, how little do people know about Puerto Ricanos, and how little do they know about Puerto Rico, and what they do know is very much attached to the celebrity culture. Yeah. I'm always like, that's that's just maybe like a tenth of what we are right and yeah and so and you know that's and again like you said we're very proud people uh I have a mask that has the Puerto Rican flag on it and recently I went to Trader Joe's and this is what I mean this is where I get a little like I I get a little obviously annoyed and frustrated I went to Trader Joe's I had my mask the guy's like checking out the uh, my groceries and he's like oh I love your mask I'm like oh thank you and he's like yeah the Lone Star State (laughs) and and I was just like, you know, I was thinking about it in my brain a little bit. Do I let this go or do I say something? And I did say something. I mm-hmm. looked at the guy, go, do you think this is Texas? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm like, no, sir, this is Puerto Rico. He's like, oh. And then this other guy he's next to who's helping him out. Instinctively, he's like, you know, my buddy's Puerto Rican. 
And then the <laughs> other one was like, you know, JLo's Puerto Rican. And I was just like, oh my gosh, just give me my groceries. Like I just can't, <laughs> I can't do this at 10 30 in the morning. Oh my God. I've gotten, well, before JLo became popular or any of those, I would tell people my heritage is Puerto Rican. Well, you don't look like Rosie Perez. I'm like, okay, let me educate you a little. <laughs> wow. Puerto Ricans are a culture, mm. not a race. Right. We come in all shades, all shades, colors, heights, width, whatever. Some of us have strong African roots. And some of us have, like, my mom looks Polish. I mean, she has very Spaniard North, and my dad has more African in him. It's not a, a race, it's a culture. It's very different. It's like being American. American, this is all different types of things, you know? And it's funny because when I went to Europe, I was considered American. When you leave the country, they know you're American. Right. But within your own country, you're, you're divided into so many different groups. Mm -hmm. There's the social group. Are you poor, rich, you know, middle class, whatever. There's your education group. There's your cultural group. I, it's just here I find that you get so subdivided into categories. I mean, I discovered subdivisions or subcategories when I moved out here. And again, this is, I think it's very geographical, uh, but moving out here, I, I, I was looking at a job application and it said, you know, for identity. And there was, it said Mexican, Mexican-American, Chicano, Tejano, and <laughs> I was just, I was like, I don't know. I mean, obviously none of the above. <laughs> and I was like, obviously none of these apply to me, but I was, you know, definitely asking uh, my husband at the time. I was like, what is, you know, he's Chicano. He identifies as Chicano. And mm -hmm. so I asked him, I was like, what, what, what is, why the subdivisions and why the subcategories? And he said, well, out here, there are people identifying in, in, in various ways. And and there is a difference between a Tejano, right? And there's a difference between Mexican and Mexican-American. And then there's Chicano and Chicana um, that have this, that has a completely different political uh, connotation. Um, yeah, I think that very few people know about Puerto Rico outside of spaces like I feel like Chicago. I mean, you know, Chicago. New York, New Florida. York, Florida, um, for sure. Um, or even like Massachusetts too. Massachusetts has a pretty good uh, health and even... Um, Connecticut has a pretty good healthy amount of population of, of Puerto Ricanos, like Holyoke, Massachusetts. Holyoke, Massachusetts was like maybe like a 30 minute, 20 minute drive from where I went to graduate school and a humongous amount of uh, population of Puerto Ricanos. That's where I would get the Puerto Rican food. I mean, I, nor I lived in Northampton, but if I wanted to get some Boricua food, I would have to go drive just maybe 25 minutes away to Holyoke. And, that was a whole, that's a whole different neighborhood, you know, with Puerto Rican flags everywhere and things like that. So outside of those spaces, yeah, out here, especially you just, you don't encounter too many Puerto Ricanos, but when you do, it gets, it becomes a party in two seconds. Yeah, <laughs> because the same thing with me, you know, I got into acting and I actually met a lot of Puerto Ricans out here in acting. And I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was alone. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, you get, you do feel lonely. That's why I like going to like, you know, the Boricua restaurants. There's only like, there's three now, I think, but there's, there's not that many out here in LA, but I do like going and it's a bit of a drive, but when I go there, it does feel homey. You know, I bump into somebody that, you know, I mean, 
Uh, recently, I was at some random, truly just at somebody else's home, and I had my flag, my little, you know, banderita aquí in on my jean jacket. And this, you know, uh, this guy came over to me. He was like, It was like, and he's like, oh, you got to meet my wife and my kids. And we just had this great conversation. And, and it was just, and he said, I'm so excited. We don't, I don't meet. Even his wife was like, yeah, you don't meet people. You know, uh, you don't need, you don't meet Boricos very often. That's really cool. You guys should keep in touch. I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I joke around that the only time you see this many Puerto Ricanos is, is at a Mark Anthony concert or something like <laughs> I, anytime there's a Mark Anthony concert, then that's when you see this. That's when you see the most Boricuas in Los Angeles ever in one place. Yes. And I just feel like I always tell whoever I'm with, I'm like, I just want to get their microphone for just about five minutes and just say, okay, everybody, we should, we're going to pass around the, the, the clipboard and write your name and your contact information so we can all keep in touch. So we can all have a party together. Yeah. Let's keep this going. Um, but yeah, it's, and that's why we have the we. I mean, there's the uh, the law. Was it Long Beach? Sometimes has the uh, Puerto Rican festival out here, right? Right. And there's one that I and well, everything shut down yeah. after the pan, during the pandemic, and they used to rent. There was a place on Wilshire Boulevard that there was a, I forgot the name of the place, and they would have. It was a you know concert hall. Oh, okay. And they would have like the Puerto Rican week or the Puerto Rican weekend, and they would have different Puerto Rican bands every night. Oh, that's so cool. And it was only for a week. And I'm out of, t- honestly, I'm out of touch with Puerto Rican culture in, in LA. It's, you know, you really have to hunt it down. I, I, I agree. I think you do have to figure out what it is. And again, the best part was the, lo- the long, I, I would always know about the Long Beach one, the Long Beach Puerto Rican festival. That was the one I, but then you're right, everything shut down. I mean, there's little pockets here and there. I end up, I follow certain people on social media that I think are a little bit more in touch. And, and I just want to find out about some small little events here and there, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. Like if you were Chicago, you know, for example, right. you're right there, like Humboldt Park. Right? Exactly. Humboldt Park. I was just at Humboldt Park because my dad won a frituras mm-hmm. and they have the trucks there. Oh. So I drove, I drove my dad. Uh, to get his frituras and my dad doesn't eat a lot but when it comes to the frituras he just loves the frituras people is fried food yeah. if you don't understand it's like more yeah <laughs> it's uh pastelillos and uh he they didn't have mofongo but they had um pastelillos are like empanadas but our version of it mm. morcilla so you know, I used to love Morcilla until I found out what it was. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> everyone has that Morcilla story. <laughs> Everybody has that Morcilla. I think I went through that phase too. I loved it. Then I found out what it was. I stopped eating it. But then now I'm like, who cares, right? Who cares? I'm all in, you know? Yeah. People for more, uh, if you don't know what more uh, Morcilla is, is blood sausage. And when I found out what it was, I just wanted to like, it's, it's so, it tastes so freaking good, it is. but I just wanted to like, I wish I could have removed all of that <laughs> from my body that I ate. I have never touched it again. Never touched. I, me, me da asco. Oh, wow. I just, I just couldn't, I, wow. I, I couldn't have blood sausage again. <laughs> I mean, it's real blood. That's the thing. That's why it's black. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, I and I haven't found it out here at the way. Let's see. I, I it's interesting. I don't those the, the restaurants that I do go to, 
No lo tiene. I haven't seen it. I have to only get, I only get morcilla when I go to the Bronx again and I'll get some morcilla and up. And there's different types. You get the little spicy ones and you get the regular ones, but, mm-hmm. um, but I love Humboldt Park. I love Humboldt Park is gorgeous. For those people who don't know, Humboldt Park is one of the most beautiful, your, the murals and that the artwork there is absolutely gorgeous. I, I mean, yeah. I, I loved it when I went there for the first time. Just an FYI, it's getting very gentrified. So, um, yeah, mm. I know. I, so it's, it's not, I mean, it's good or bad because one time we were at Humble Park because this is when I was still living in Chicago. And we saw, it was during the Puerto Rican parade. And a lot of us are all in college, you know, we're all sitting on a bench watching the parade. And then these guys in a gang start burning down a car. I'm like, I go, this is how people judge us. That's going to be on the news. They're going to get interviewed or they're going to be looked at. And us who are on the bench in college making where they're not going to interview us, you know, so it was very disappointing to see that. Besides those guys that did that one incident wasn't the whole parade just as you know like two guys did this that the whole thing was was going to be judged on that but humble park i love and they put in the water they put in their own little beach that was built there when i was a little kid oh wow Uh, yeah that was put in that wasn't natural but it's just humble park it's got such culture oh it's gorgeous i mean i i love i've been there twice only and i just the first time i was there i just walked around and just purposely got lost in different, you know, little like huecos and stuff like that, just to look at the, the artwork. And, and I ate, yeah. and I had a list of places to eat because t- of course everybody gave me a list yeah. and I ate so much at one place. And then I had to go to another place. Everybody gets no, tú tienes que ir para allá para, 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 for, for, to get the pan, the pancitos. And you have to go there for the cafe and you have to go over here for the comida. I mean, I ate my way through like a couple of blocks in one afternoon, <laughs> um, more than I. Were you on Division Street? I think were so. you on Division? Yeah, because that's a big where they have a lot of Puerto Rican restaurants. So good, and it is. It's beautiful. It was a, and I, and I think it's impressive to see the Puerto Rican flag, like you know, in in iron. Right, it arches over the street. Yeah, gorgeous. I was like, that's to me, that was just so moving, and yeah, and again, Humboldt Park is definitely one of those very special places. Um, yeah. Puerto Rican culture and, and yeah and like out here is a little like you said it, it's 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 harder to find you know you got to find people and and keep your eyes and ears open you know to, to see what's going on but yeah it's it's a lot tougher. yeah and I noticed that is the same truth with many cultures it's like I drove like 45 minutes to get authentic Indian like from India there's and it's just two blocks but everything's authentic. You can find the wedding stuff. You can find the food. They have a groceries. Uh, yeah. I love all that. I love going into neighborhoods like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Where it's really cultural. You know, you learn a lot about cultures. And I wish we had one here, like a two blocks, you know, thing. Right. Of just where you could go for Puerto Rican stuff. And it you want authentic really stuff. Like it's the authenticity of it. And also, I think what I love about neighborhoods like that, that you're right out here, we don't find it as often is that they are run by families. And, and that's, that's, that's the best part. It's getting to know their stories and, you know, like, well, what brought them here? You know, what, what made you start this business? And, 
who's still running it. And, and again, those are beautiful moments. And again, it's all about supporting, I believe firmly to support small businesses and especially runs by families. And that's what those neighborhoods provide if, you, if you're able to find them. It's really hard. It's really difficult. So many, so many things like you said earlier are gentrified these days. It's so like these neighborhoods, Highland Park is very gentrified or, you know, nowadays and, and you see, I see it even out here in the burbs. I live in the burbs and I still, and I'm starting to see those, this wave of gentrification even coming into the burbs. Yeah, because what I notice is that people come into the neighborhood because they love the culture, then the culture leaves. Or they, or they, you know, they leech off of the culture, right? They take what they want from the culture and they repackage it. And I mean, I think you've seen, have you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, did you see a few months ago, had to be earlier this year, discovery of Pegao? No. I'll have to send you the video. Pero no te miento. It was Pegao. And I think, um, I don't want to, I, I don't think it was, I want to say it was a famous chef, but let I me mean, not say that. But it's a very, it's a, it, it went viral that they discovered, Anglo chefs discovered Pegao. And they were like, they were calling it something else. And they were, they even had like a how-to video. I mean, it was just insane. And what I loved is that the Puerto Rican moms and abuelas mm-hmm. had an anti-video that went out to respond. <laughs> you know, um, and I don't even, it, in what was it that um but for people that don't know what pegao is pegao is when you make rice and you use a bit of oil and it's the sticky crunchy stuff on the bottom that honestly i did this with my dad i just came from chicago my dad made arroz con gandules Mm. uh, which is pigeon peas in english i don't know it's rice and and uh, if they're called pigeon peas in english it's just a pea it tastes more like a lentil yeah and so i scraped the top part, I was trying to get to the pegao on the bottom and it was a little oilier than I thought, but it was, it tasted amazing because my dad's like an amazing cook, mm. but I, you know, I want a little bit of the top and a little bit of the pegao. And I hate when people take our culture and say it's theirs. Oh, look at what we just, dis- you didn't discover shit. Excuse my wording. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. You stole it from a different culture and now you're claiming it as your own. Oh, I mean, it'd be different if you said, listen, you know, I, I was learning how to cook from this person and I picked this up. Then you're giving credit back to where you got the information, but to rebrand it as your own is insulting to the culture any culture. You don't rebrand it as your own. You give credit to where you got it. I agree. And yeah, this, this cultural appropriation, the co-opting of, of Big Al, I was like, this is insane. I mean, the, it was earlier this year. I know for a fact. And I mean, the responses, and I love that the responses were coming from, from Puerto Rican and, and, and from Puerto Rican women going like, ¿Qué es esto? ¿Qué es esto? And you <laughs> that know, has been around for centuries. <laughs> And the fact that they were charging you for that at restaurants, like a very dis- like ridiculous high price. It's like, you've got to be kidding. I forgot what they were calling it. They, they, they really did. They called it like crunchy rice or something. It was like, yo no sé, it, it fue un fra- yo no sé lo que fue, revolu que había, but I was like, this is just taking this, this nonsense to another level of co- well, you know, cultural appropriation. The it's- same thing happens through the, this time of the year. I taught a bunch of my friends how to make coquito. Mm. Okay, so I make, and then now they're coming back. I make the best coquito. I go, don't you appropriate my culture? How dare you? I taught you how to make this shit. (laughs) 
you don't make the best. I don't even make the best, you know? Right. Um, right. So don't, that's like appropriation of my culture. And I was really insulted. It's like, no, this is not the best. Don't, don't claim my cultural stuff. What people don't understand is that it's insulting. Even if another Latino does it, you don't claim it as your own. You give credit wherever you get it, whatever kind of food you do. I mean, you go into some fusion restaurants and they'll say we're fusion between Chinese and Puerto Rican or fusion between Cuban and Puerto Rican. You see a lot of those. I mean, Cuban and um, Asian, especially yes. in New York, you see a lot of that. Yeah. So, but they give credit to where they got it. Right. But we've been going off about a bunch of stuff here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. What would you like to say to the audience? Is there any message you would like to give or? Um, the message I think would be that, um, you know, I, I am, you know, because the poem suggests there's always a question whether or not you belong or you don't belong somewhere. And that struggle, I feel for me, constantly permeates in the workplace, in society, linguistically, professionally, poetically, you know, and it's a feeling, but it's just a feeling that will pass, but it's okay to have those feelings. It's a very calm. And what I find is there's a, there's a commonality. There's so many people who are feeling that way. So I just encourage people to actually share those feelings with people that they they trust, that they realize that they're not the only ones holding on to that. And when you do share with people, there is uh, you release you release those feelings of doubt because now they're they're no longer yours. So I just want to I think the poem really touches on that for me. It's like you know uh, linguistically not feeling like you belong somewhere either here or there, but you know what you end up finding out there's so many of us out there. Who are feeling the same way so you're not the only Perfect. one now where is this poem from what book it is actually in my new book that's coming out in march 2022 it's coming out uh, by flower song press and the book is actually called uh, by the, the the same name as the poem living on islands not found on maps that's the title of the new book and it's my third poetry collection uh, and people can pre-order it already on flowersongpress.com and uh, my Previous two books uh, are from Tia Chucha Press, which is the mm -hmm. press by Luis uh, J. Rodriguez uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, so you can find my earlier two books, Ascension and Unfinished Portrait, if you go to tiachuchas.com uh, and then the new book, flowersongpress.com for Perfect. Now, how can people reach you if they want to? You can visit my website at louisvet.com and it has uh, all the ways that you can find me on all forms of social media, which I am I'm on all social media at this point. So I'm fairly easy to find. So you can just type in Luis Resto on any of the social medias and you'll find me or you can go to the And website. I'll also put all the information below. Sure. I might have some people that don't know how to spell your name and stuff like that. So right. Exactly. I'll put the link for you so they can find you. All right. right. I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate all this great conversation and your poetry. And it has been a real pleasure to meet you. Oh, igualmente. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.